Welcome to the Roadie Friday Podcast with your hosts, Darren Makins and Jose Escudero. Spotted. Well, spotted. <laughs> yeah. Are you at Jose? You at home? Yeah, I'm well. I'm in Florida. I'm, I'm in Florida. 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 Yeah, yeah, I, I was because we played in Vegas a couple weeks ago, and I visited with him. And then, like, she had a voucher that she had to use up by a certain date. And then I was like, "She's like, well, you should just go now because, like, I leave on the second to go to Europe for uh, fourteen days." So, hell yeah, you're coming. So it just worked out. Who are you coming over to Europe with? Uh, Poppy will. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess like this was that European tour they're doing is like it was, they were supposed to do it, but then COVID fucked it all up. And I think this is like the their third time they had to like reschedule it. Damn, that's wild that people are still like doing all those makeup dates. Oh, I know. Yeah, for sure. We have our guest Justin Perez. Uh, some people may know him as Sweet Tea. Um, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a run through uh, as to how you got your career started? Well, it all started in this uh, Burger King bathroom. No, no, no. That's how it starts for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shady guy that tells me, hey, you want, you want to go on the road? Sure. <laughs> Meet in the toilet. No. So, uh, <laughs> I kind of, what I got to start was like, I worked at the, you guys have been there, but I, I bartended at the original in Minot, North Dakota. I had, uh, I had worked for like a band before, like just to help out, like on the side. And then, um, then a band played at the oh i think it was actually i think it was pop evil actually and their management was they were trying to look for crew guys for uh two bands and the one of the bands that they were looking for i had already knew like on a personal level so that's kind of like how i got started they just they're like oh look for this look for crew guys I'm like oh i already know this band so that's oh cool so here you go and that's how i got started like right off the bat Hell yeah. So it's it, it's it kind of hits on the theme that we've been talking about, which is just kind of like grinding it out on the local level and helping out your local venue until, you know, some band scoops you up. It's it's a theme here. Yeah, yeah I think I think working at the O kind of helped out, too, just because like I knew like a lot of bands that come through and I had already like I learned how to like build guitars and I worked at a store before. So I kind of like on like the guitar stuff and, and I knew, understood that, but like, I guess like the touring part is totally different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at least like in a, sto- in a, in a store setting, you have a lot more time to work on guitars, but then when you're on the tour, it's like, I got to cram this four hour job in, in 30 minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. That's another, that's another common theme. Like everyone's like, has like a general knowledge of like their field, but not, not in a, like a touring sense. And like, how that just adds on so much on like, yeah. onto what the job is 
the current tour that I'm on right now, I've basically gotten down, uh, changing strings on a Floyd Rose down to about 25, 30 minutes, which is like literally all the time that I have. I still have 10 minutes too. The, yeah, too it's 10 minutes too long still. But... <laughs> Those are rookie numbers. No, no that's fair. That's fair. No, like, I, I, yeah, yeah. No, I think for me, because I grew up with like Floyd Rose guitars, and that's actually like, I didn't have anybody, any friends that had Floyd Rose guitars. So I always like learned on my own. Yeah. And I would fuck it up really badly, but like I would get it to work in a way. And it wasn't until like I got to high school, I had a, another friend who like, he had a Floyd Rose guitar and he was like, oh, this is how you do it. And I was like, wow, I've been taking a long way to do it. But essentially, I, you know, I got the idea of it, but it was like I was doing it the, like, the harder way, I guess you can say, on setting them up. So, and then I just perfected it a lot more. And then, you know, and that my, I, I use Floyd Rose guitars like pretty much all my life. So I kind of like, that's one thing that's pretty easy about those. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, it's just like the repetition of working on something over and over and over. Cause I'm pretty sure I can get it down to about 15 minutes by the end of this tour. Um, yeah, there's so many things you can do to like block it. And even like change strings. Like I always, I got that, like that trim block from Shredneck that, you know, it shimmed underneath there and take the strings off. And then I just put like, I have an Allen wrench with like different, um, I have E tape on it, but it's like different thicknesses. So I just put it in the back and then have it flush mounted. And then I just, just to the spring tension. And then I just go from there and then pop it out. And then, then I tune the A string with the spring tension. Then once that's set, like pretty much all the strings fall into place. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. I use the, there's this company skyscraper guitars that makes these little wooden blocks in different sizes. Uh, oh okay yeah and like you jam it out like in the back and then like as you're tuning once you get to your tension it just falls off by itself and at that point you're done okay oh, okay nice that's smart well that yeah that's the, that's the uh smart and uh you know good tech tool <laughs> but <laughs> if you want to just go cheap and yeah <laughs> I, I've seen other guys use like on one tour in particular. Um, oh my god, just like folded up boxes of strings or like cardboard and shit. Oh yeah, and and like you know mm-hmm. the 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 trend block was like twelve bucks maybe. Like just make the investment. Yeah, make yourself look a little bit more professional. Not that I'm shit talking any of these or guys. Nine but... volts. <laughs> yeah. No. No. See, I I, I think it's just like people just make their own tools because it's easier. Cause I grew, I, I grew up watching boxing, man. And I remember like back in the day, like when I was young watching boxing guys and you'd see the one fighter who has like the expensive end swell. And then you would watch like Oscar Del Hoya and other Mexican fighters where it's like a, like the, the Fritos nacho cheese can. And then all it is just iced over. They would use that for the end swell. And it's like, wow, that's cheaper than probably what the other guy spent that well. Well, so. but that, that, that's also like, perfecting your craft like no matter no matter what in industry you work in you can have all the tools you can have all the fancy flair that you want but mm. you just you just got to work at your craft i i guess is the best way i can oh, describe yeah. that because mm-hmm. i went because like when i worked at a store and i went you know learning building guitars it's like i have so much tools from stu mac but i don't bring them on the road because i spend so much damn money on them yeah and they have like a tool for everything 
but it's like i don't want to bring this 200 dollars tool that does one job and then lose it and then you're kind of like out 200 dollars. <laughs> yeah yeah i try to make I, I try to make do with with what i have and like <laughs> just oh, like yeah. scrap things together and what like just be scrappy and uh <laughs> yep there's actually, I just went tool shopping today. There's, uh, I forget what the name of the store is, but there's apparently like a, a tool chain here in Germany uh, that just like, that it's basically like a Home Depot, but if Home Depot sold kayaks and like, uh, just, it, it's like, it's almost like Home Depot on crack, but Target, like a sissy version of Target and just like, it, it's, it, it's, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing because and so I just bought like a backup flashlight and uh, I was missing an, uh, a specific size of an Allen wrench. So I bought that as well. Uh, yeah. I go to Hobby Lobby. I, I, I buy stuff at Hobby Lobby because they have like these like wet sanding pads. They go from like 600 grit to like 10,000. I buy those because I use those. Like if I have to like um, do like a fret level job, I use those to like buff out the frets and get them all nice and shiny. Yeah. I was talking to uh they're pretty quick and easy. I was talking to the other guitar tech about uh Harbor Freight and he was just like, "Yo, I'll fuck up a Harbor Freight." Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, gentlemen. Yeah. So, do we get into the uh actual topic at hand? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So, this is kind of a continuation of our uh I guess mental health series um and uh full disclosure, I am not sober. Um, I, I, I do enjoy beverages every now and then, and, uh, some other spoils of the road, I guess is what you would call it. However, I do have very, very close family members that have struggled with sobriety over the years. And so it's definitely a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. And, um, I wanted to bring on a friend of mine who, uh, I, I know has also is currently living a sober lifestyle. So, uh, Justin, if you wanted to just uh, and you can talk about as much as you want or as little as you want, you know, you can share whatever details you would like. But um, what exactly what what was the driving factor for you wanting to become sober when you're uh, in a lot of pain? And uh, yeah, <laughs> um, so what made me go sober was like, so it was like my 27th birthday weekend. It was like me and two other friends. We all had like the we had a birthday the same week, but we celebrated together on the weekends. So we went to go see Machine Head with like Suicide Silence in Minneapolis. And we were there for the weekend. Um, but I had, uh, we were there. And then the last night we were there, um, like all of a sudden, like I had this, like this pain that just shot up so bad. And like my side was like bulging out. And I was like, it was so bad that like, I had like my friend with me that tried to like get me to go to the hospital, but I was so, uh, I didn't want to go. Cause at, at, cause at, by that point I was already, um, in denial that I was an addict, but I ended up going and they were like, yeah, you know, um, you know, doctors told me like, this is what's wrong. And so then I was like, fuck. So it took me a while to like, kind of like it settled in and, um, but yeah, like, so, but for backstory and all of that, um, what I was probably about like 11, 12, when I, when I got into like drugs and alcohol and stuff, um, my mom had uh, gotten to an accident when I was like 
you know, at an early age and that kind of like set it off because my news channel showed her. My mom was actually dead for two minutes and I actually like saw her on TV dead. Jeez. And I think that's what like really, really like uh, set it off. You know what I mean? And she was like in a coma for a year. And when she finally woke up, we went to go visit her. And uh, it was uh, tough because like she didn't even know like who me, me and my brother were basically. Like she had to like relearn everything. Mm-hmm. It was definitely, uh, I don't know, I guess when you're like that young and, and you see all that. And she went to uh, this uh, rehab center in San Francisco. I remember going in there and seeing people that were like way worse than her. There was a lady that was there. She had been in a coma for 15 years and, you know, her family still thinks, would still think that she's going to wake up and still have hope. And, you know, it was like, I think a lot within that year time frame. But I had built up so much anger and hatred from that point. I guess like the doctor when she initially was um, in the hospital, like doctor was like, oh, she's going to be a vegetable and you know, she's never going to live. And if she does, you know, this, this, this. And so because of all that, I built up a lot of anger and hatred uh, towards people. And that's where, where drugs and alcohol really like helped me at a young, or not really help, I guess, but really like keep it in check in a way. Yeah, that's where you found uh, a sense of comfort, maybe, or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't want to, I guess, like, I didn't want to face, like, reality of life at that time. Like, you know, because when you're young, it's like you want to be a kid. But at that point, I had to become, like, mature and adult, in a way. Because I had a younger brother, and I had to, like, really watch out over him. And, like, I felt like I had to, like, take care of him or do things, so... When my mom finally came home uh, after rehab and everything, I like watched her struggle to make mac and cheese or just simple dishes and food. And that like fed in more into, you know, my anger and everything. And, and that's when like, it just delved into more. Like I, I hid, I hid my uh, addiction for so long. Like my parents never knew. I finally admitted to my parents like two years ago that I had an addiction and cause I would like, I'd go out with friends and hang out and I had a curfew at 10, but I would drink and party and then I'd come home to check in. And then my mom would like go back to bed and I would wait 30 minutes and I'd go climb back out the window and go party more. And I would sneak in my room and uh, do shit in my room, you know? So it's a, and then, yeah, you know, it really like, you know, when when you're young, you, you know, you think you're like Superman, you know, I didn't, I never thought that I had a problem, you know? And then, Leading up to my 27th birthday, I started like, actually when I was 17, I went to the hospital and there, the doctor was like, what kind of extracurricular activity do you do? And I was like, what, like play, play baseball or football? <laughs> he's like, no, what do you, what do you, <laughs> he's like, no, what kind of, you know, he's like, what do you do? I was like, I don't, I don't get what you're talking about. He's like, you know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, no. And he's like, he's like, your liver enzymes are really, really high for someone your age. He's like, I know what you do. And I'm like well, I guess I party and then I had to tell this person like, you know, what I do. And he's like, you should probably, you know, take it easy. He's like, I'm not trying to lecture you. He's like, you live your life, but you should probably slow down. And this was like me at 17. And I was like, okay. So I went a month sober. I wouldn't party anymore. And then finally, like a, like a month in, I was like, oh, I should be good. So then I went back at it, you know, but, and then when I was 26, that's when like, it just like all came crashing down in a way. Cause like, I started getting pale. I started having this pain in my side. So then like I would mix my drinks harder in a way. 
to like numb it and then it worked its way up to like my back like all over my back and then i was just like fuck i'm so much pain i can't sleep so then i would basically just drink straight liquor to fall asleep and then and i'd go to work drunk and everything and no but you know nobody would say anything to me i'm sure they wanted to but you know yeah. but again like i said like i didn't think i had a problem i didn't think that uh there was anything i was doing that was wrong but you know then when you hit that breaking point when everything just comes crashing down i like and you still feel like you don't have a problem you still think that like you can control it but you know but when you've done it for so long that that's all you know and by this point you have you already been touring um no i haven't i hadn't i hadn't started touring at that point yet um you know, touring didn't, I didn't start touring to maybe like a couple more years after that, like three or four or something like that. Do you find it difficult, uh, you know, being around other people that are partaking in extracurricular activities? Do you find it to be difficult to maintain sobriety? Nowadays, no. I think when I initially, like going sober, like it, like I, for the first three months of being sober, I would like, I would sweat. I couldn't sleep. I was shaking. Like I was like, everything was coming. Like I was coming down from everything. Like I just quit cold turkey because I knew that like, like I said, like the doctors told me all this stuff and I was like, okay, so I should probably quit. And those first three months were hell, man. It was like you, I wanted to do something, but I knew I shouldn't. And, you know, it took a while. And, but, you know, nowadays it's, it's pretty simple. Like I think that I can hang around with people. I mean, I work, I still work at the bar, you know, sober and everybody around me would like, they knew that I, I, you know, wasn't supposed to do anything. So they all pretty much watched out for me, but that's great. I think because I had that, that type of people around me, it made it easier to be around people that were yeah. uh, doing stuff. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't judge anybody that, you know, partakes in whatever vices they need. Cause it's like, you know, I did the same thing. And so, but no, it's pretty easy now. Cause I, I know like what my limitations are now. <laughs> as a person so yeah but i've really i've definitely relapsed i've re i've relapsed at least four times since then you know i went i went two years of being sober and uh i was a very stubborn person you know during those times of like alcohol and drugs and then it still carried over so i went two years and i was like okay i should be fine then i started up again and then i was getting pale and sick looking again and i was like okay and i think i didn't tell nobody i think i i just checked myself in and got checked out and i was like okay like i i can't do this anymore like i know like it's gonna show so so then i went sober for another like almost like two and a half years and then i slipped up again and then but the one one thing about when you slip up too like you really like beat yourself up a lot mm-hmm. you know what i mean because like i've had so many friends that like were there for me and helped me out that i felt like i'd like uh, disappointed people yeah. and that's always been like the one thing I think when you feel like you're disappointing people and you feel like shameful and then you go back to doing what you're doing because you you feel so bad I mean that's that's just me I don't I'm not I don't know how like every addict does but I know for me that's what I would do I would I would do something and then feel angry that I that I relapse and then but just keep doing it Coming from coming from the other side of it, I guess as as a family member of uh, of addicts, uh, and I've also gone uh, I've gone to Al Anon meetings. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, Al Anon is is the uh, equivalent of AA, but it's for the family members to co- to be able to cope with a loved one that is an addict or something like that. And 
one of the things that they taught us in that program is that relapsing is unfortunately a part of recovery. And the only thing that you can really do for them is I don't hold judgment on somebody that relapses because, you know, in certain cases it's going to happen. It is a part of the recovery process. Um, but the, the, the thing that I can do is offer my support without enabling and, you know, just let, just letting the person know that I care and that I'm there for them. Um, and I'm not saying that to toot my own horn, um, but I just, uh, somebody that's on the other side of it that has family members that are addicts, uh, I just, I offer my support. I tell them, uh, I tell them that I love them. And really from, from my side of it, that's, that's all you can do, um, is offer support and don't offer judgment because that's going to make them feel worse and potentially lead to an even bigger relapse or another relapse. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like, um, for me, for, you know, my case, like I had people that would, you know, try to get me to go force me to go, but I w I couldn't do it because I just like my personality and my stubbornness, it, it wouldn't feel real. So I feel like I would, you know, I would always revert back to it because I feel like I was being forced. It's kind of like, I feel like in the same situations that people that like get court ordered to become sober. Mm. And as soon as like, you know, that that's all done, they're like, well, fuck it. I'm, I'm free. I don't, I'm not on the court. So I can go back to using, you know, you, I think a lot of people who are addicted need to go on their own. Yeah. You can give people support and tell them like, you know, Hey, probably slow down or, you know, change lifestyle. But essentially I think it's up to us and them to want to do it. And that's what, cause then they end up, um, being more committed to being sober yeah yeah and, and yeah and like feeling forced though like you can like build resentment towards the people who want to help you like oh yeah yeah I, I that was i know like like i said like when when i didn't want to go to the hospital like everybody was like they're like you're gonna go and then i, I got very uh, aggravating i mean i was already in, i was in pain but i was like very like aggravated towards people and one of my best friends came up to me and he was like you're going and i like I guess, like they said, like I was like in like a fighting mode, like I wanted to fight the, you know, him, and you know, we've talked about it, you know, but yeah, you know, and that's that's what uh, one of the things that I've learned through going through these programs is that addiction. Uh, there's a lot of people that disagree with it, but it is an actual disease. Your your brain's chemistry changes so that way you equate using to survival, mm -hmm. and if you don't essentially from my understanding of it is that the addict's brain is that if they don't use, they're going to die. So therefore they have to use. And so I, I had a close family member that has gone to rehab several times and it finally took them the third time because they, it was the time where they chose that they wanted to sober up. And as you said before, Justin, that it's not going to happen until it's a choice. Um, you know, you can court order, you can do everything you want, but you know, un until the person makes the choice that they want to become sober, they're just going to keep using. And that's just how it is. And honestly, I lost my train of thought mm -hmm. as to where I was going with that. But basically, uh, it, it, the, the point that I wanted to make here is that it is in fact a disease and it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a chemical imbalance, I guess, is the way that you can put it. Oh, yeah. 
I think like this last time when I relapsed, I, I relapsed again during COVID and that one, that one was really bad. Like I like my coworkers come get me in my apartment, take me to the hospital. Like I went to the hospital like seven times. I remember like the fifth time I checked my own self out and I walked home and went right back to it because I had nobody around me to like saw me or do anything. So, um, but I learned recently that like they, alcohol you know, or addiction in, in general is kind of like, it's like sugar. When you give your body sugar and your body's so used to it. And then as soon as you try to like cut sugars, your body like naturally like fights to want it again in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and it also creates then, that like, dopamine rush. That creation. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, and then like your body's like, oh, I need that sugar. I need, you know, I need this again. But you know, you don't need it. It's just your body's telling you like, you need this. You know, even though your head tells you don't need it. But yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah. How do you deal with that when on tour versus at home? Because there's there's a whole new set of challenges at that point. I'm guessing. I think I had to learn how to like hold myself accountable. You know, because when you're home, you have people around you that support you and and can watch over you and like, you know, call you out or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm guessing like people, especially people at home will like know more about your situation than a bunch of strangers in a bus. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I still like struggle with it because like, you know, I go, if I, you know, start a new tour with a new camp or whatever, it's like, I still like, won't all, like I'll just say I don't drink, but I don't really like delve into it too much. You know what I mean? It's still one of those things where like, I just feel like it's like a stigma to me where it's like, it's kind of hard to like tell somebody like, yeah, I'm an addict. You know what I mean? It's still like, it's still hard some days for me to like, to fully admit that like I'm an addict, you know, even though like, I'll like, I guess I look at this, like I'll always be an addict. I can be sober for 20 years, but I'll still always be an addict. And, you know, it's kind of hard, I guess, to like, always like just to bring that out. But on the road, it's like, you know, when people don't know, don't know that situation, you know, you're always going to get offered things and it's up to you, like you to like, you know, protect yourself out of those situations. I know, I, I know there's days where like, if I'm not feeling the best or whatever, like I will like just hide in my bunk and not do anything. Cause I don't want to put myself in a bad situation. Cause I know I, I know I can, I know I'm capable of like doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think because I love my job so much and, you know, being in, being from North Dakota, you know, like I don't know any other, I really don't know any other texts in North Dakota. So it's like, you know, if I, if I fuck up, then it's kind of like, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, who's going to want to like pay for my expensive ass ticket to fly out to start a tour, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I've always kind of like put that in my head that like, I always have to give more into it. So it's not, always, it's probably not always worked out, you know, in favor wise, like, like mentally, but I think, you know, it's helped out a lot. So always remember that, like, I don't want to get, you know, left behind in bumfuck Iowa or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, for, for sure. So, are, are, do you do you follow any programs at all? Like when you're out on the road, or or just in general? Like what 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 do you do to I guess help yourself maintain your sobriety? Because I think we might have talked about this a little bit, where you said that you work out to uh to 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 try yeah, and get your mind off of it. I, I well when so when COVID hit and like everything kind of like shut down and I like started working out more and just to like get my mind off things and then you know yeah i did relapse during that time too but i try to find something that that keep my mind off of it 
and I had to like relearn because it because like it was so bad that like I had to like relearn the tools um to stay sober and I even like I tried AA for the first time because um, I used to I used to be like really like like against like AA and and therapy and stuff like that because I was felt like like well what can these people do for me so I tried AA for a little bit and I actually got in trouble at AA because we were doing Zoom meetings at the time but one of the guys in the in the AA meeting was like you know if I had it my way half you people wouldn't be in here and he was being all, like a judgmental and I was like I flipped out and I was like dude, you're like not any different than me. Like, yeah, you've probably been sober longer than me. It was like, but you were, you're just like me. So like, why are you being like judgmental? Like, how are you going to tell people like they don't belong in here? Like, you, you know, these people are getting judged on the outside for addiction and then coming here. It's supposed to be, you know, an understanding with everybody, but then you're getting, they're getting judged by you, you know? And that's what, that's what turned me off of AA and stuff like that. And then I went to therapy and, I did two sessions and, but the lady, all she did was just sat there for an hour and wouldn't even engage with me. And I was like, and then at the end of it, she's like, well, here's a, you know, here's a take home. She do these little exercises. And I'm like, and here's your bill. Yeah. Here's your bill. Like, here's, you know, here's $150, you know, whatever, but that's not what I wanted. I wanted somebody to like break it down for me or even like, like this interact with me. You know what I mean? I didn't, whatever. And I don't want to just, you know, hear myself talk for like an hour. So, so that, that put me off. And I think, and at that time too, like it was like I was trying everything to to get myself back on the straight and narrow path. And then I actually had a buddy that he's really big in the psychedelics, and so I kind of I delved in that world, and it really helped me in a way. Like it really like clicked a lot of things and like awakened a lot of things in my head, and it helped out. Um, but and then I got so into it that I wanted to keep doing them and. But then I think I sat down and I, and I told my uh, my fiance, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And she was like, why? I was like, I was like, well, essentially I'm kicking substances with a substance in a way. Yeah. You know? And I felt like I'm cheating. I mean, even though the guy, the guy that created AA, he believed in like mushrooms and stuff like that would cure addiction. So, I mean, like, there's, I, I feel like there's no really true way, true form of sobriety. I mean, if you want to be technical, I mean, you can't do nothing. But then you can say that you can't take sugar, you can't eat fast food, like everything, and it can be an addiction in a way. But Yeah, for sure. Gambling's an addiction. Uh, but Yeah, I mean. If you have a problem, of course. Yeah, everything's, yeah, yeah. So um, I think I've. I ended up just having to like read books and, and learn a lot more. And I, that's what really helped me out again and like change a lot of uh, my mindset. Um, but I, I remember, I can't remember what, which podcast episode of you guys is, but um, you guys were talking about um, backline, yeah. uh, that backline diary. And I actually reached out to them after your guys' episode to, to learn more. So that's um, awesome. Uh, I haven't haven't been able to like settle a thing yet, but I actually um, have like two doctors, and I think I reached out to one of them. So, um, so I'll be like working on that. So, but yeah, like I never knew anything about that stuff. I think with your guys' podcast, I really like. I was like, okay, I I think I need to identify with somebody, or or like 
at least I know somebody like understands my schedule in a way. Yeah. So it kind of helps out. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the biggest things about those organizations like Backline Care and the Roadie Clinic is like they have that little bit of extra uh, understanding about our personal situations, which is nice because mm-hmm. uh, it can get tiring sometimes to like because because you always have to explain who you are, what you do, like every every two seconds to everybody. Yeah. So having someone who has oh, yeah. like that all like basic level understanding uh, is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. It, it, I I feel like you you know with 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 them I feel like you do, you just like you can bypass that stuff and you just go straight into like the yeah. okay here's Justin the person and not. Justin, who guitar techs for bands, you know. I, yeah, and you don't have to like explain you know, your living situation and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, because everybody there understands. Yeah, I live in a. Mm-hmm. I live in a bandwagon. It's a bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. The thing that's glorified box truck. <laughs> the thing that's worked for me is doing better help, and for something like that, like you know, you're you're assigned you're assigned a therapist and you can schedule it. I think I have an appointment tomorrow actually at like, I think it's 6am my time, but it'll be like, I forget what it is, but I, uh, but basically like with something like better help, uh, if, if you're not a fan of your therapist, like you don't have to go through the process of trying to find a new therapist. You can, you know, better help will search for you until you get a therapist that clicks with you. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that's extremely important as well, is that not every therapist is right for each person in each person's situation. So, you know, if, if a certain therapist is not right for you, don't write, don't write off therapy altogether. Just find somebody that works for you. And, you know, so, some mm-hmm. of them, we're, we're all chestnuts and it's just basically like trying to find yeah. a way to, to crack the nut i guess is the is a a good analogy Mm. that i can think of i think with like therapy and stuff like that and like whatever route you go you know and help with like your addiction and stuff like that or whatever you have going on with you i think the initial hardest part is i know for me it was like i wanted like that help instantaneously yeah you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah like it's hard it's hard to like i so you know for me when 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 you really i really look at it like i've been an addict for over 20 plus years and and i went to a talk you know want to talk somebody and it's like i want this to you know what i mean i want to like some type of thing like reassurance or satisfaction in like a session or two and but now like i've learned to like kind of like step back and and not look at time as a number anymore i feel like you know i've already spent you know i'm almost 40 i already spent 40 years here you know what i mean and and really in the grand scheme of things i've only lived in this world for like not even a second you know so i have to like you know not think of it as like a time process it's it's something that's got to like come naturally and and just organically yeah and and, and like understand that like it's it's different for everybody too because you might have heard like success stories or like the opposite like for somebody else Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily 
your experience and like how long and how you get to each person's problems can be so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to get like really upset with people that would be like, you know, when you hear like celebrities or whoever that would, you know, die from addiction and you hear people like, what well, is did it just do this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'd get pissed. I'd be like, they were struggling. Like it, it isn't just like a magical thing, you know, like, but I, now I, I am, I don't, I don't get that way anymore. I try not to get that way anymore. I still do sometimes, but I try not to get that way anymore because I know, like, you know, unless you really like lived up lifestyle, it's a lot harder to um, understand. And it's just as much as like it's harder for me to understand people that have like are completely straight edge and never tried anything in their life. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's hard for me to fathom that, but um, but I think we just like have to all just like meet a, meet at a common ground and understand that like you know there's struggles and there's, um, you know, there's bumps on the road. There's, you know, there's not really an easy path to getting, even though like you want it to be, you know, there's no, there's no yellow brick road (laughs) in addiction. So. Yeah, for sure. And the thing that I like to tell people about therapy is like, there's a lot of people that try to control therapy where they think they know where the issue it's like, Okay, uh, here's here's an analogy that might get a little wild, but imagine your brain is like your attic, and there's a bunch of boxes, old dusty boxes that you haven't gone into for years, and those are full of your problems. And, you know, obviously it's your attic. You know where everything is, but what a therapist is trying to do is you bring the therapist up to your attic, and they're like, all right, here you go. Have a field day. You know, it's going to take them some time mm. to try and find that that old teddy bear that's sitting in a box 30 feet under, you know, other boxes, but you know, they will get there eventually. They're, they're trained professionals. They know the questions to ask and, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. going to be a one or two or possibly even three session thing. So while you're sitting there in the third session thinking, this motherfucker's just taking all my money and just asking like, well, why don't you tell me about your childhood? Like they're asking these questions for, for reasons. And, you know they'll they'll get there eventually and you know if it's just not Mm. working for you you just go and try a new therapist you bring somebody else up to the attic and be like here you go you look around this time yeah you know like i think but also too it's up to like you as a person to like get into those stairs you know what i mean because it's like you get very like a lot of times you get in your head where you're just like you know get self-conscious and it's like again i know i know for me it was like being self-conscious of like oh what if this person finds out what are they going to think of me? You know what I mean? That's all that all plays in your head too. When you start playing mind games for yourself, it's like, you think that what people, I mean, I'm sure people who met me in life that always looked like, Oh, I would never know, knew that you were an addict. You know what I mean? But then you, when you tell them things or you, you open up and then you, then they give you that look and then you feel, fuck, I shouldn't have said anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And that's something you have to understand too, is that like, you know, uh, not everybody's your enemy. Not you know, they're not there to to go after you, and you just have to like let it out and let them understand. But I think that's one of, like the first steps that's hard to do. You know, is letting people in. You know, I, I like I said, like I I I didn't tell my parents till like two years ago that hey, you know, I was an addict. You know, and I I know my dad asked me. He was like. He's like, so when you come visit me, you used to do it too. I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't do it as often because I was like, I was like, I know you would know. So I would like, I'd like, so I'd go into your liquor cabinet and 
you know, drink just a little bit just to like kind of like feed the the demon in a way. And but yeah, it's you learn how to like hide things and, and yeah. But then you do get to a point where it's like you can't hide it anymore. And that's when a lot of times too that people like they know you're doing something, but they won't say anything. You know, so um I think anybody that knows anybody that like looks like they're having an addiction or like they're having a struggling time, I would say say something. Don't be like very brash about it because sometimes if you're just like really harsh about it up front, it's it's never like it's not always a good thing. So I think if you can catch it like early and kind of like let them know that, you know, hey, I see it, you know. But, okay. Yeah, that, that's the that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I would have, yeah, I wouldn't say like, that would be my natural instinct to like step in at all. Really? Mm, yeah. Well, that's the thing too. I, I think, I think like addiction and stuff like that is such like a tiptoe thing that like, you know, everybody doesn't want to say anything. Cause it's like, well, let's start like, yeah. But if that person were to die, then you'd be like, Oh, I, I would have said something, yeah. you know, Hey, something now, you know what I mean? Don't, don't let them, if you're, if you're really that concerned for that person, you have strong feelings for that person, like say something now, like it may not, they may not get sober now, but I mean, eventually it will like, I, I feel like it will kind of like give it some thought or some type of kick in, you know, essentially, yeah, it's still up to them to want to get sober, but you're, like I said, like I kept doing it because I didn't think nobody knew, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I would hide it and nobody knew and nobody would say anything and people just, went on their days and so yeah for sure yeah and uh the, I, this this close family member uh got very good at hiding it um and it got to the point where their significant other would like watch the credit card statements and just make sure that they weren't going to bars or going to um liquor stores or anything like that so this family member at one point mm-hmm. actually went to a dollar store and they they justified it by saying that the spouse wouldn't think anything of them going to the dollar store but they actually bought rubbing alcohol and drank rubbing alcohol and ended up in the hospital and oh yeah that was the that was uh that was the low low point where i think they finally ended up in rehab uh for the third time and that was that was the point that because you know, if you're drinking rubbing alcohol, that's like that is you're just straight up putting poison into your body. And, you know, the the third trip to rehab is to treatment. Sorry, I I use the terms interjectably, but the third time to treatment was the, 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 the charm. And now this person has been sober for I think we're going on two years at this point. It might be two years. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely that's I'm, awesome. That's you know, <laughs> I'm I'm, pr- I'm I'm proud of them. Yeah. I'm proud of everybody that can maintain sobriety because I know it's extremely difficult with the stress, uh, both internally coming from uh, our careers mm-hmm. as well as uh, external sources. You know, yeah, a lot of triggers. Uh, I know, like, yeah, oh yeah, I know that there's I know like there's times where like. Uh, I, if I know that I'm about to get to that point where like I'm on the edge of like relapsing, it's usually around the time when like 
like everything makes me irritable like that that spoon is stupid you know what i mean it's like i and, and everything irks me in the way and that's when i know like okay i know so i know i'm about to cross that threshold so before i didn't know that was actually like a sign on me that i was going going to uh, relapse but it wasn't just like till recently this last time i relapsed i realized that like okay my aggression is heightening up and that's actually uh, uh, like a trigger point or or that's how i know that i'm about to like yeah it's a, an indicator yeah. yeah and the road is definitely I, I i think if you can keep yourself busy on the road and you know keep your mind uh yeah you're always in you know in stressful days but you can help yourself i mean you essentially know your body you know your schedule it isn't our, our job isn't something that like you yeah we have bosses but it's not like you have a boss that's like that's you know over your shoulder every day and, and watching you you know what i mean essentially we have our our own reign of doing our job so yeah. but you know it so we can find our ways of like keeping ourselves in check and working on it so but there are other days when <laughs> But everybody's partying and you just look at everybody and it's like, man, I'm so glad I'm not that right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they have fun parties. You can still have fun. You can still be sober and, and fun and, and still have a good time. And that's what I, I try to do. I try to like yeah. just joke around. and Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that sometimes like I notice, like, cause I, I've toured with people who are sober and a lot of times they'll just kind of keep to themselves because I don't know, maybe, I, you know, you never really know the real reason uh, like, you, know, you don't want, like, maybe they don't want to feel judged. They don't think they're going to have as much fun, but I've totally been in situations at bars where, you know, everyone's doing their thing and whoever's sober is just drinking like soda waters and Topo Chico and stuff. And, uh, oh yeah. And well, that was a, I mean, soda water. I usually do like soda water or splash cranberry. Cause then it just looks like I'm drinking vodka and somebody, <laughs> Nobody will ask me. Nobody will ask me. Hey, can I buy you a drink? Like, no, I already got yeah. one here. Like, oh, okay, we drink vodka. Like, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, I'll encourage yeah. like the sober yeah. people to at least, at least, like, because like I also, I also don't want them to like feel like, uh, Outcasting. not exactly like they don't like people don't want to include yeah. them. And it's like, yo, I'll, I'll, I'll drink Topo Chicos mm. with you. I don't care. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I, I know there, there are some camps where it's like. I've heard of people that like applied for a job and they were sober and they didn't get it because they didn't party. Uh, you know what I mean? Because yeah, they have those guys or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, these guys can't hang. Like, no, it's, oh, dude, it's got nothing know. to do with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's either hey, do you, do you want this person to hang and then act a fool and then you got to fire him because you're like, oh, he was too much of a hang. You too know? much of a hang. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know if I want to look like I'm drinking, but like, there's there's times where I'm just straight up not in the mood to drink. But like, if I want to look like, I'll just order a diet coke and I'll ask the bartender to throw a lime in it. And you know, if if anybody's like, "What you drinking?" Oh, rum and coke. Yeah. But like, I'm just I'm lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I tell you, like, stuff fun. Whether you drink, don't drink, you just have to like have fun in a way you know yeah. you're, you're the one essentially has to make the fun for you for sure um you know yeah no, no. touring's hard so those moments where everyone's like 
getting together and interacting are important. So like, you know, like, yeah, if, you know, someone's not drinking, I think like that's totally fine. Like <laughs> still hang them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always too, like the initial, like when you, when you start with a, with a new band, whatever, and new tour, and then it's like, everybody's trying to feel each other out. And then you see the ones that like, there's the ones who don't party. And then it gets all weird. Cause you're like, Oh, those people, those people don't party. And then that people, that person parties too hard. And then, but after a while, like if you kind of like all this, like, band together and yeah. have fun. You know, like, like yeah, I hear non-drinkers, no. <laughs> Non-partiers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, we can. I'm yeah, just glad that. Like, there is usually a common ground. Uh, and that's like, because I, uh, you know, I do, I'm not sober, uh, but I guess I, I wouldn't really consider myself, like, I don't have like that addictive tendency to alcohol. So like, I'm like, so I'm able to like party with both like the sober crew or like the non-sober crew. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I I'm, always, and I'm, I'm always willing, I'm always willing to be like that bridge between both to like, to include, yeah. try to include everything. You're like, let me go over, let me go over here for 10 minutes with my white claw yeah. and then go to this group over here with my, with my sparkling water. <laughs> <laughs> I got, why do you carry two drinks? I got two friends. <laughs> I got it. Hey, man, I'm trying to be an ambassador here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm an ambassador. For sure. Edward Fortyhand. Edward <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever played Edward Fortyhand? Uh, in college, yeah. Uh, my, my secret was uh, yeah. I used to wear gym shorts so that way I could still use the bathroom. Uh, just, like, lift up my shorts. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, uh, like when I, I went to college, this. everybody was still wearing like, well, I, it's still a thing now, but like everybody was wearing tight jeans and they'd all wear tight jeans to the party. And like, everybody would have their forties duct tape mm-hmm. to their hands. And you know, after a certain point, it's just like, I'm like, only halfway done, but I got to piss. And it's just like fucking losers. I wore shorts. Oh, like, <laughs> I mean, for us, like in high school, it was like, because like we had like that one friend who was 21. So you give him your money and you buy your, we always had like shitty forties. Yeah, of course. And oldie. I look at him like, man, why did I do that? Yeah, oldie, Mickey's, you know, hurricanes, whatever the fuck you can get for your twenty dollars at the time. Yeah. Or no, you had to give them twenty dollars for your order, but then another twenty so they can get them them themselves something because they're doing you a favor. Yeah, for sure. You got to pay the toll. So, but yeah, no. You know, you got to pay a toll party. <laughs> <laughs> even now i mean even now it's like you go you, you know when you go to these venues and they're like they're all cool with you and they see you all day and you go you know what i'm trying to relax i'm done let me get, let me get a beer and they're like oh cool twenty dollars twenty dollars for this bud light can you know i <laughs> uh, get the fuck out of here just throw it on I the rider played, where was that actually you, with the day when you came when i was with the morphis when you came to uh baltimore yeah yeah one of the guys, one of the guys bought like a Bud Light pounder and it was like sixteen dollars. I'm like, for a fucking Bud Light nope. pounder. No, that was a work trip for me, so I just wrote it off. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> yeah. So, anybody have any final thoughts or parting thoughts? Party thoughts. Part- Parting, <laughs> not party. <laughs> oh, party thoughts. <laughs> I thought you gonna make. I was like, well. Don't get caught, man. <laughs> Don't get caught. <laughs> okay. Don't get caught. 
in the end, it's, you know, you have to, in the end, decide that if you have a problem or not, you know, nobody can tell you that you have a problem with addictions or whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, it isn't just, you know, I know a lot of times people see us drink alcohol, but you know, there's other shit too that people do on the side and for sure they don't think that they're, there's a problem with it, but you know, but teach your own. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I think just have fun, live life. And, you know, if you get to that point where you, where all that's controlling you, then I think that's when you know it's time to hang it up in a way. You know, I, I, I know people too that like have like cut back and they've been able to like live like that where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to drink this 24 pack. I'll drink this 12 pack and be good, you know, yeah. or just a few. So, but you, we all, you know, you know yourself, you know, your limitations. Yeah. Do what's, do what's best for you. Yeah. This has been, uh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen, I never, see, I, you know, I never really seen Darren drunk before. <laughs> oh man i get a yeah well that's the, the, like the early years when i was touring like i just i was the guy that was just like you know no drinking until the trailer closes and then like after that i was just like all right if you can handle yourself until the trailer closes <laughs> and like well, from what i've heard about jose is that he he needs that drink to to load out <laughs> <laughs> What was it six white? Was it, it's a five or six white? It's a, sh- oh shit! What was it? I think it was five. I think it was like yeah, between five and like no less than five, no more than six, something like that. To, to get the perfect pack for <laughs> yeah. a non-point trailer. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you get the the runner to go all the way to the back, like under the cape. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well. I, I think this was a great talk. Uh, it was awesome catching up with you guys. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I see you guys are busy and trying to, although, and... although the second half of my year just recently opened up. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's a long, yeah. it's a long story, but, uh, that's always, that's always, that's always fun. when you're like, all right, I'm going to be gone. Nope. Not anymore. <laughs> and then you have to like reconsider, prefigure everything out. But yeah, yeah, know. yeah. I've, I've. But hey, you know. But you, but you, it, it might, it might open up something cool. You never know. Like I mean, like. Oh yeah. Like for this year, like I, I, you know, I just got off with Pop Evil and and then going out to Europe, and then um, I had the opportunity to, to guitar tech for Scott Ian at Blue Ridge. I filled in for his guitar tech Armando, and I must have did good because Armando's like, hey. You want to go guitar tech for Devin Townsend on the Dream Theater tour? That is sick. Sure, dude. That's gonna be awesome. Yeah, with Animals as Leaders is on that show too. Yeah, so. it's uh, Animals, Devin Townsend, and Dream Theater. Yep. Now all we need is Periphery, and it could be a super guitar nerd tour. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all guitar nerds. Oh yeah, that's pretty much what the people are gonna be doing. It's like, oh wow, look at that, Tom Petrucci. Yeah. Sick leads, master you know. class every day. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you guys got anything? I mean, what you what you got going on, Jose? You got anything else? Uh, just a lot of seven dust, seven dust. Uh, then straight into water parks. Then I'll have a few weeks water off, parks. and then back into back into seven dust. You doing water parks? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm doing water, water parks. parks. Uh, my buddy yeah. George 
hit me up. Oh, oh, that's a band. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a band. Water called Parks is a band. Parks. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought I, I thought you were touring with bands that play water parks. Oh, that no. water parks. <laughs> That'd be sick. That'd be the best gig ever. You just be in the lazy, lazy river, handing off the lazy cars. rivers all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that'd be awesome. I would definitely. That'd be a great tour. Little shark floaties, you know. Hell yeah. <laughs> if anybody's hiring for tour that has a shark floaties or something, hit my hit 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 me up. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> we hit all the nation uh six flags splashdown water parks. That's all we do. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's awesome. The catering sucks, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at least every venue has would have shower. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, for you sure. Don't have to worry about the shower part. It's even better when you go to venues and they like that they make they're like you should feel privileged of playing here. Why? Why? I'm a fucking shitter back here. There's not even. A, I can't even use the restroom back here because there's not even a restroom back here. Yeah, it's like it's like the toilet doesn't have a door on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's a great but it's a great walk up venue. Just so you know, not a lot of pre sales, but a lot of people walk yeah, yeah. up. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. We have a good uh, in-house menu. Just two burgers. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you guys go. For sure. I'll talk to you guys. Yeah, I'll see you guys around. Thank you for listening to the Roadie Friday podcast. Have a question or an idea? Email us at roadiefridaypod at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Theme music by Ricky Armelino. Editing and production by Darren Makins.